Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. Jill and Brett, hello. Hey, what's Hello. up? We are back. I need to do my um, <laughs> my top 40 radio <laughs> voice. We're back. Flash Beauty back. <laughs> Your Casey Kasem Bigfooter voice. Right. <laughs> More like uh, some AM station in Cedar Woolley, but I'll take it. <laughs> You're listening to 107.2 Des Moines Hit Radio. <laughs> awesome. Hey, you know, I uh, before we started here, Brett and I were talking a little bit about, as well with Jill, about this latest, um, and once in a while we'll go other places here, but we just got done watching the Stephen Greer three and a half hour disclosure. It's on YouTube. I think if you type in Stephen M. Greer, maybe it's Stephen H. Greer, Stephen Greer, uh, you'll find it probably at the top of the feed, even... Uh, three weeks after we did this interview here with our upcoming guest, uh, it should still be up at the top. I think it's already got a couple hundred thousand views in the first 24 hours. And there's a strong reason for it. It's for the fact that it uh, it mirrors a lot of what's in Flash of Beauty as far as, you know, the, the new term, the old term, but the new term is whistleblowers that is coming out regarding the Whistleblower Act, protecting people that have seen UAPs. And Brett, Jill, you guys did this as well. You were kind of Stephen Greer's in the Bigfoot world. And everybody who's made a Bigfoot documentary, let's be honest, has done yeah. the same. Um, and we, you know, we stand on their shoulders here. But um, tell me about what you thought about this documentary or this, uh, this uh, Stephen Greer YouTube video here. I think it's an important step in the right direction as far as looking at these hidden events. Well, you know, he did one in 2001 um, mm -hmm. that was... Right, this is number two. This is number two. And the one in 2001, I remember being really interested in it, but mm -hmm. it didn't catch, it didn't catch like this one did because, you know, YouTube wasn't, I don't even know if YouTube was really around back then as much. And there wasn't the, the kind the kind of disclosure and the kind of forthcoming people that there is now. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's what's really interesting to me is um, how these people are just kind of coming out of the floodgates. I mean, it certainly helps that Congress passed a law saying that they'd be protected, which is a huge step in the right direction. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I think what Dr. Greer is doing, um, I think what he's doing is very important. And I think that Bigfoot is going to ride on his shirt tails. You know, it's funny mm -hmm. because I'm watching it as if I'm in the room and I'm like, hey, back here with my hand <laughs> up going, right. what about Bigfoot? You know, <laughs> and honestly, I expect. I would expect had I'd really been there, Stephen to kind of look back there and squint and go, what are you talking about? 
You know what I mean? And that needs to change. That mm -hmm. needs to change because Bigfoot is partner in these paranormal instances. Um, mm -hmm. And we're going to discuss that in the sequel. And, you know, I know there's a lot of folks out there that are on the fence about the flesh and blood and so on and so forth, but, but there's just too much going on in this mm -hmm. paranormal realm to ignore it. And, and what's so fascinating to me is that Bigfoot is doing the same things that these UFOs are, um, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the timing, the um, warping space and time and the cloaking. And I mean, we're all talking about mm -hmm. the same quote unquote magic, if you will. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think this is super important. I think that UFOs lead and Bigfoot follows. No, I agree. Um, you know, as far as this whole idea about, you know, it, what, what Greer is saying and all the whistleblowers who are coming forth, you know, as far as saying like, oh, it's a, you know, the door is opening. No, I think Bigfoot's going to come in and kick the door down and say, here I am. Because once we have, once we acknowledge all like that, okay, all this UFO stuff is happening and oh, there's, it gets even weirder. Uh, if you haven't listened to uh, the full, uh, what, what would you call it? It wasn't a webinar. It wasn't a seminar. It was press a press conference. It was a press conference, a press conference, a truth bomb. Um, yes. Press conference. <laughs> there's some stuff in there that was like, Wait, they just said that out loud. Oh, we're talking. We're having this <laughs> right. conversation. Right, right, right. Okay, this is happening. So, so yeah, I think. And 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 I right. also think it's. <laughs> I also think that a lot more people are going to come forth with their their Bigfoot encounters that get into this weirder stuff. And again, it ties back to our sequel, uh, A Flash of Beauty: Paranormal Bigfoot. Is we're opening the door for people to come out and say, yeah, me too. And it's not just deciding. It's not just that big hairy thing crossing the road. It's things that are, let's just say it gets weird. It gets yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just be honest with you guys. We don't have any, um, you know, like Bigfoot's crawling out of UFOs in the sequel, but um, we do have some things that make might make you think twice as to whether or not Bigfoot is, extraterrestrial <laughs> origin or partially yeah. extraterrestrial. So I'll throw that out there. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say or, anymore. Or it could be uh, the opportunity. I don't know, Brad, there might be another uh, documentary coming out, a flash of beauty WTF. Um, just cause there's some crazy, there's like some stuff that it's just hard to wrap your head around and it's out there and it's real and it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's just so hard for us to resist, folks. I mean, our guest here um, is very fair-minded, and I'm talking about our guest, Amy Boo, who is a, a part of Project Zoo Book. You should look into it, like-minded scientists, all looking at the phenomena, some skeptical, not s some that are witnesses. Um, and this is, this is how this is done. This is how this soft disclosure is slowly done, is... People get curious. That's the point of interest. That's where I came from, a, a sense of curiosity and saying, wow, there's still mysteries in the world. And that's exactly where Amy Boo comes in, too, a very genuine person. I think that's the apt word to describe her, a solid, uh, a solid researcher. And she's in our documentary, and uh, I think she's taken the right approach. So without further ado, let's get into it here with our guest, Amy Boo.
with us now is researcher Amy Boo from A Flash of Beauty. And also, she was a contributor to the Bigfoot Influencers book, as well as Project Zoo Book. She's also an active member of the Olympic Project. Hello, Amy Boo. Hello. You are three hours ahead of us here. We want to make good use of your time. So let's get into it. Time and time again, Amy, um, people have real admiration for you and your research, which is kind of a rare thing in this community. Everyone has a really solid opinion of your research and the way you do it, but also just your personality. So kudos on that. And it's really the first time I got a chance to talk to you. And so I'm I'm eager to learn more about you and your experiences. So Jill and Brett probably know a little bit more about your origin story. But why don't you tell our audience a little bit how you got interested in Sasquatch out of the gate? Sure thing. And thank you for that. I, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I'm just a normal person. I am a teacher and a technical writer over here in Ohio and was never really into Bigfoot until 2012. I saw something from a car window. I was a passenger going over a body of water and saw something holding onto a tree and looking out at the water. It was very large. It was very dark and wide and it moved. Um, I always say that that's my jumping off point into this topic, but I still don't know what that was because unfortunately the car was going, you know, pretty fast and it was at least a hundred yards away but it sent me down the rabbit hole because in my mind, what it looked like was what I would think Bigfoot looked like. So, so I, like I said, uh, I think I just saw a Bigfoot and then immediately thought that was stupid because Bigfoot's not real. You know, that's what I thought at the time and started reading everything I could and talking to people and listening to witnesses and here I am today. So you didn't get a good look at it, but you got a good enough look that it got a bug started. Why do you think yes. that is? And tell me what your initial next steps were. Well, yeah, it was like I saw that. And then I started pretty immediately, like within that week, Googling, you know, Bigfoot, Sasquatch in Ohio. And it didn't take long to find out that not only was I not the only person that said they saw something like this, but that I wasn't the only person that saw it in the area I saw it in. You know, I thought Bigfoot was a myth, you know, and just something for fun. And now my opinion has totally changed, obviously, or it wouldn't be here. But um, it, it just sent me pretty quickly into reading reports that I found on the internet and then reading every single book that I could find on the topic. And I have just been on the steady uh, path to try to figure this out for myself. And I still call myself a hopeful skeptic because I've never had a smoking gun absolute experience, but I have had some really cool experiences that have added to my, uh, you know, belief that this, I absolutely believe that it could be real and most days I think it is real, but every once in a while I, I have doubts like a lot of other people, you know, um, in good company with that. You know, Peter Burns never seen one either, but, uh, you know, it, it has been a never ending source of um, fascination for me. Now, here you are in Youngston, Ohio. 
home of one of the largest conferences in o- in all of America is in, in Ohio, right. Salt Fork, right? So how far are you from Salt Fork? I'm a few hours from there. I used to help with that conference, but kind of got away from that. Um, my preference, I do, I still do different conferences and I enjoy that, but my preference is to either be out in the woods or to be speaking to people that aren't necessarily in the Bigfoot community. So I do today, I do a lot of outdoor shows, hunting and fishing shows, which is where I primarily speak and meet my witnesses. Yeah, we'll have to get you um, in contact with Dan Young. Dan, if you're listening, Dan is uh, an outdoor uh, radio guy attached to ESPN. I think you're right up his alley as far as your perspective is concerned. So you may be getting a call for another radio show here. Give her a call, Dan. I'll give you give you some information on Amy. Call me, Dan. <laughs> call her. Call her. Brett, call her, Jill. Call her. Yeah. You got any questions here before I keep still in the limelight? Go ahead, Jill. Yeah, I want to jump in because, hi, Amy. Uh, you know, one of the very first things we talked about in your interview is, you know, you talked about how in once you once you kind of jumped into this world, one of the things you did was um, educating yourself and how you've really, you know, spent time learning about the outdoors and animals and like, what, what makes this noise? What sounds like that? Can you talk about that? Some of the, some of the um, education that you've, uh, you've pursued because of this. Yes, I would love to. Thank you. Yeah, I just felt it was very important because, you know, the first, when I first started getting into this, I was a pretty, uh, pretty big novice at camping, let alone, you know, going into the wilderness and looking for any type of an animal. You know, I had grown up going to my grandpa's hunting cabin in Pennsylvania in the Allegheny National Forest, but that was a cabin, right? And everybody was with me and and I didn't I didn't have to know a lot of things. So first and foremost, I wanted to keep educating myself to know what was not Bigfoot out in the woods. I get a lot of audio sent to me and footprints and different things. And I, my big thing that I say is that not only do I not want to ever uh, mislead or uh, I guess mislead is a good word, other people about what something could be, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't misleading myself. You know, I, I want, I'm looking for solid evidence that I can be sure of. So Again, I um I started just educating myself, and then I went back to school to um, through Ohio State University. There's a program called OCVN, which is Ohio Certified Volunteer Naturalist Program, and you learn about all different kinds of animals and soils and watershed management and about trees and all that kind of thing and went through that whole program. So I am an OCVN now. Um, another big reason I did that is because sometimes you can get into areas that you're otherwise allowed to get into. But also I enjoy at our different state parks, I can help put on different programs and I can um, educate people about other animals and plants and things. And then I also went 
to survival school. So there's a school here in Ohio called the Midwest Native Skills Institute. And, you know, this, what I always say, I'm not, I'm not typically what people would think of when they see a big flutter, I think. And I'm like, I want to know how to be okay out there because usually I'm with other people, but sometimes I'm out by myself make sure I have my personal GPS and all that kind of thing. But I wanted to be able to take care of myself and know how to, you know, build a fire that wasn't a Duraflame log and a (laughs) a match or something. So um, I went through a lot of different classes with that school to the point where uh, I was asked to be uh, assistant trainer. And so hopefully here in the near future, I'm going to be able to do that. So it's a lot of fun. I've learned things that I've never ever expected myself to be doing but I think all of that really uh helps with this topic and with my own research especially because I'm trying to do it from a scientific perspective with my project that I have going on Amy and looking at the evidence that's out there some 50 years we'll say um what do you think is the greatest body of evidence where does it point to what kind of physical evidence do you think if there is a nail in the coffin, where, where do you think it is? As far as physical evidence, everybody knows, well, not everybody, but we who are into this know about the different footprint evidence, things like that. But I go back, my what I look at that makes me the most fascinated and convinced that this could be a real natural creature. And I'm not saying it is, that's just my interest. There's a lot of different ideas about what Bigfoot could be, but is the, um, goes back longer than 50 years are all the Native American stories. And I've spent some time, I was very blessed to be able to go out to the Blackfoot Reservation in Montana. Last summer was invited out there to do some Bigfoot research, um, look for the Inamitipi, which is what they call the hairy man. And they just look at it as a natural, normal thing, which I just rewatched a flash of beauty with my mom. And you're talking, one of the people in there was talking about that as well, about how it's just normal to them. You know, this is just another, another uh, animal or not, you know, could be closer to a hominid out there in the forest. So I feel that those stories are what I find the most compelling, but Physically, I mean, you do have the the footprints, you have so many eyewitnesses, you have lots of audio. The audio is extremely compelling to me. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on. But, you know, we all say in Bigfooting that only one of the people that says they've had a good sighting has to be telling the truth for them to be real. Amy, it's Brett. Um Hi. Hey, so, you know, one of the things that, that really stood out, and of course it's in the film, is is how you talk about, you know, some of these eyewitnesses that you ran into at these um, outdoor shows and how some of these grown men are crying by what they've seen. And, and when we first set out to do A Flash of Beauty, I think the biggest thing that was missing in the world of, of Bigfoot films, media, whatever you want to say it, was that distinctive emotional component um, and the psychology behind having a sighting and seeing something that you cannot forget. 
Um, you know, I mean, we all remember the first time we saw a bear in the wild or whatnot, but, and we're on a little bit of a high for maybe a few hours afterwards, but, um, Bigfoot's a whole different ball game and these men are really affected. And most of these men are, uh, hunters. They've been hunters for life. Um, and they're, they're too freaked out to go back into the woods. And that's very dramatic. Um, and that to me points to some pretty compelling evidence what kind of what kind of things have you heard from some of these guys oh you're right it even thinking about it has me a bit emotional um some of the things they've said and i myself since i uh you know appeared in a flash of beauty and talked to you guys i have had something that happened to me and it wasn't a sighting wasn't for sure but something that really affected me going out into a certain part of the woods. So I relate more to these people I've talked to than I used to. But to give you a couple examples, um, at one of the outdoor shows, there was a gentleman who was was older and he had come to our table a few times. You know, we set up there and myself and my friends usually help me. And it's like, give us your Bigfoot stories. That's what we're there for. And, you know, you get a few laughs and things like that, but I'll tell you, like overwhelmingly people are interested and we've gotten hundreds of reports from doing this over the last several years. So anyway, this older gentleman comes and he, he's looking at our footprints we have and things and he leaves and he comes back and he leaves and he comes back. And finally, he tells myself and my research partner, Tina, about his story. And basically it wasn't a really dramatic story. It was just that he was in his house looking out the window and he saw what he says was a Sasquatch standing there in a field. And he was starting to tear up because he said, you know, it didn't do anything. It wasn't threatening, but it wasn't supposed to be there. Like it wasn't supposed to be real. And he couldn't wrap his head around that. And he said that he still goes to these hunting and fishing shows. He still buys equipment He said that the opening day of deer season was his Christmas since he was a young boy. And he cannot, ever since he saw that, he cannot go back into the woods. So he's never been hunting again, never been to the the forest there because it wasn't supposed to be real. And I hear that over and over. I had another gentleman um, right outside of Cook Forest, Pennsylvania. I'm from Ohio, but I do most of my research in PA. And he was a foreman for a construction company taking down a water tower, a small water tower in the middle of the forest. And he saw something that night that woke him up. Like he would set his uh, watch or phone alarm to wake up every half hour, make sure that a generator was melting the ice inside of that tower so they could disassemble it. And something shoved his truck. He heard it walk you know, away from the truck, he finally gets out from all of his uh, blankets and sleeping bags and he sees what he said was a Bigfoot watching that water tower and the fire there. And when he made a move to try to get his phone, which he had like flung over to the passenger side floorboard, he, the thing turned and looked toward him. Uh, It wasn't that far. I'm, I'm bad at, I'm bad at distances, but it, you know, maybe 20, 30 feet I know it wasn't that far away but um what I had with me a bear specialist from Ontario who was interviewing him and he was there with his wife and their dog 
and he's telling us this story. So I had her go stand where he said he saw this thing and she turned and looked at us and he started crying. And I, I don't mean sobbing, but definitely was shook up and upset. And he kind of went off to the side and I was talking to his wife and she was saying that he had never missed a day of work in his life before this, but he couldn't go back for a few days. His dog is what I, I tell this story often because it's what affected me the most really as far as a story from another person because this man was so shook up and his dog was upset. The dog's jumping on him. The dog's crying, you know, upset that he's upset. And I just knew he wasn't lying. Like, you know, I feel, I feel very strongly that he wasn't lying and that he knew what a bear looked like or a person and, and this dog, he could not have fooled his own dog. So that really affected me being there where it happened. And, you know, not too long after it happened and just seeing that raw emotion come out of this man. Yeah. Yeah. This, this to me is, is really strong evidence. You know, um, it's like, it's like some of the research that John Mack was doing, uh, the Harvard psychiatrist when he was looking at alien abductees, you know, he, he went into it going, what is the psychosis that everybody's experiencing? You know, not even considering that they were actually being abducted by aliens. Um, and, and nobody's done this in the Bigfoot world, you know, um, Obviously, we've got Doug Meacham, who's wonderful, um, and Doug's kind of on the cutting edge of, of this stuff, and he's brave enough and courageous enough to talk about it. But thankfully, we're able to kind of ride the coattails of uh, what's happening right now with UAPs and UFOs, and it's kind of starting to open up some doors. And I think as you'll, you may notice, and maybe you've already noticed that, you know, as we continue to go through this disclosure, soft disclosure, the giggles might start stopping. <laughs> You'll hear Definitely. less and less of them. <laughs> well, they have started stopping. You know, one thing I hear over and over from people is, you know, why aren't scientists more interested in this? If it could be real, why aren't they? And I say to them that there are a lot of scientists. Um, what Project Zoobook is, if it's okay if I tell you what, what it is we're doing, um, in a nutshell, it's there's a whole long story behind it, but um, I, I met a group of primate zoologists who are interested in Bigfoot. And when they first told me that they were interested in Bigfoot, I thought like maybe as a, not as a joke really, but maybe just for entertainment, but no, this, this group was extremely interested because of uh, first of all, one of them had been down to the Expedition Bigfoot Museum down in Cherry Log, Georgia, and was impressed by what they had seen. They started listening to different podcasts, reading reports, and they're like, hey, like there could be something to this. So that started in 2018, where I was just talking to them. We soon started doing phone calls. I was getting other people who knew a lot more than I did because, you know, I I educated myself, but I know there's people that have been doing this a lot longer that have specialties and things. And we started getting them in on the calls and then started doing Zooms like we are here. And at this point now, five years later, we have over 40 different scientists who are involved in our group. 
um, from wildlife biologists to primatologists to anthropologists, some of whom are hopeful skeptics like myself, and many of whom have seen them, have seen a one or more Sasquatch. And so although we are a little bit under the radar because a lot of them can't proclaim their interest as far as the universities they work at or the zoos they work at or other places in, you know, fish and game and different places they work at. Um, we are doing a lot of projects with different researchers around North America. And I will tell you that every time we've had a new scientist that I've been able to get to come into our group, they have all said pretty much the same thing that they had no idea that all of this was going on and no idea of the possible evidence, you know, um, the witness reports that this could be a real thing because a lot of times, unless you really dig into it, people think we're out there looking for Smurfs or something, you know, that's the, <laughs> that's the yeah. attitude a lot of people have, but our scientists and we have just as many researchers across the U S working with these scientists on different things. Uh, you know, they are all in and we've been doing this for several years now and it just keeps kind of growing. Um, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. Uh, I lucked into meeting these people. So it's, I, you know, I, I call myself the coordinator of the smart people there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the scientist, you know, but I, I, I just coordinate things and things like that. But they are amazing and they are very, very open minded. So even if getting back to your point, like even if it's not like blasted everywhere that science is interested, they really are. Um, we just were in the Wall Street Journal this past year for our group. There was a, a reporter who wanted to do kind of like a little light piece about Bigfoot. And then we invited him to some of our meetings and he interviewed all of the scientists and he was fascinated by it. So it turned into something a lot more than that. And um, not drain, not name dropping Wall Street Journal. I'm just like saying, you know, like you said, like people are starting to get more interested and I think you're spot on with um, everything with the UAPs making people say, hmm, you know, something could be happening that they're that they're more and going to get more and more interested. Yeah. I, and I just want to throw out one more thing real quick, too, because it's um, and I want to go back just a second here. Um, I think and, and I want to also say that I think the zoo book project is phenomenal and has the capability of really making some, some changes. Um, so real quick story. And, and I'm glad that uh, you're the one I'm telling because I, this, we haven't told this story publicly and I'm not going to name, name any names, but it's relevant to you because it's your research area. Um, when we were doing a flash of beauty, we interviewed a scientist um, who uh, would not go on camera because he's got big defense contracts um, and he's very prominent. And um, he and his five brothers have a tradition where they go hunting on Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving. And this was back in 1980 or 1981. And, and I'll try and keep this story short, but basically um, there was about six inches of snow. They all went out that morning and 
his brothers, his five brothers, um, they're all like military brats and, and they brought out like firepower, you know, way, way more firepower than the need needed for hunting. Um, so they get out there, you know, this is, I don't even know what time of the morning this is, but it's, it's fairly decent, uh, time and they get out there and the, the, the main brother stops the troop and he gives them the military signal of being quiet, you know, whatever that is finger to lips. <laughs> and he he motions for them to circle around and kind of get into this uh, defensive stance, if you will. And long story short is he had heard something. And when they finally heard what was making the noise, it was a Bigfoot carrying a bull elk underneath his right arm. Oh, wow. And the scientist that was telling us this story, um, he's an older gentleman was looking into the camera, we were doing a zoom, and his eyes were just welling up. And he looked at Jill and I and he says, you don't want to see one. And his lip was quivering the whole nine yards, it really affected us. And I wish we could have gotten that testimony on camera. But anyways, um, just thought that was very relevant to some of the experiences that you'd had at the outdoors, you know, shows and <laughs> the fact that it takes place kind of in your research area. Wow. And just to hop on really quick, but Brett, he also remember he said they all quit hunting after that. Right. It was just like a, and I don't think they ever now, as, as I recall, it was something they never talked about. They just, it was just done. Everyone yeah. quit hunting. They got rid of their guns. I mean, this happened 43 years ago and the guy was like, still emotional about it and and part of the problem i guess if you will or part of the issue was is he, he couldn't talk about it you know he couldn't come forward about it he really wanted to and then he kind of wavered and said well you know i'm getting close to retiring soon so maybe i will then but you know it's the same kind of thing that that we're talking about with uaps and ufos there's a lot of people out there that are scared to come forward and hopefully you know we can we can make a a, a space for some of these folks to come forward and and feel comfortable talking about these things. Absolutely. That's what I hope to do at those outdoor shows. There's so many people that aren't into Bigfoot like as a hobby or even like want to tell their stories, you know, whether it's on a podcast or to somebody at a conference or something. And I love Bigfoot conferences, so I'm not saying they're bad or anything. And I love to, to go to them when I can. I'm just saying that I have found more witnesses that are new witnesses at these other outdoor shows that I do. And it's been, I, I got the opportunity to do one from a friend who couldn't was offered that and he couldn't do it. And he's like, do you want to do it? And I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> you know, not knowing if I would be received well, but exactly what you're saying. Our goal, my friends and I is to be a safe place for these people to tell their stories where we're not going to laugh at them and just a listening ear. And, you know, here we are, if you want to tell us, and they do. You know, everyone's saying the same thing here, and I'll chime in as well. Hearing bow hunters come to my booth in Eugene, Oregon, telling their story about why they won't go bow hunting, how Ron's, Ron Moorhead sounds bring tears to their eyes because they've been waiting over 20 years to be validated. Um, seeing those lips quiver, these are, um, you're reliving this, hidden event to steal a comment from the documentary these hidden events 
there's something uh, so profound about this experience, even being fleeting, that it can split, you know, uh, a worldview. It can traumatize people to the core. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we tried to do with this documentary and Brett and Jill and Mike did so well is to provide a place where that was delicately unfolded cinematically and beautifully. And I, I think we did it. You did. Um, Absolutely did. I agree. Yeah. But this is, this is my point with you, Amy, is that now we have somebody who's also carefully doing that in person with people. And that's, what's so great about having you a part of this community is I hear this, this, this respect for the profound nature of what you're hearing rather than the sensational nature, which is so tempting just based upon the fact that it's, you know, potentially a man monkey monster out in the woods at its right. base element, right? There's right. something else. And I'll go back to Todd Neese's comments when he said that when he saw it, it was almost too much. It was like looking at a, at God. Yeah. Um, and that's a really profound thing to unpack. And I hear that coming from you. So talk a little bit about the profound nature and I'm getting too serious about Bigfoot <laughs> right now, but <laughs> let's go there. Tell me what you think about this. Oh, I think you're you're spot on. You know, I I feel what's lacking a lot in the Bigfoot community is that we forget sometimes that no matter how important Bigfoot is and Bigfoot is important to us you know to me it is you know going from seeing something that I'm not really sure about in 2012 to having another possible sighting through a FLIR camera in 2018 to seeing some things hearing some things um to to what I do now I just have, and especially starting to work with different indigenous groups, you know, First Nations groups, I have such a respect, not only for Bigfoot, so I'm not downplaying that at all, but sometimes we forget that there's people involved and that they're really important. You know, um, there's just so much drama and so much jockeying for position or who does what you know and I'm I truly just try to do my own thing um I I am somebody who has learned to jump at opportunities I've learned to make my own opportunities but a lot of the things I've been able to do has just been from being in the right place at the right time including being in your wonderful documentary <laughs> you know I just happened to be there and thank you for including that but I um I think we have to remember that when you have a Bigfoot account, you have a person there and they need to be respected. And so I say over and over again, where my interest, and I know I said this before, is could there be a an undocumented primate or hominid out there in North America, like a natural living, breathing creature could that exist i'm fascinated by that possibility that's how i do my research i am just as open to listening to people who have a very different experience and outlook you know that this could be whether it's something paranormal you know in their eyes whether it's an alien or something like that like i don't know 
I don't know what it is, you know, so I think it's so important to not be making fun of people, to be generous with your ears, <laughs> you know, and, um, and have a lot less talking involved and just, you know, give people a chance to share what, what their experience is. I think that's so important. Yeah, I agree. I think there's been, um, you know, there's a real competitive edge to race to evidence. And I get the temptation. I've raced to my share of supposed evidence along the way as well. And maybe it's more of a guy thing. You know, maybe there needs to be a female approach to this to kind of unpack how to have that personal edge. We really haven't had it. You know, Autumn Williams was kind of that voice back in 2012 time frame. And might I say that 2012 was a banner year for The Strange. I don't know if anybody else, uh, you know, can come forward with that. But I've noticed that 2012 was a breakaway year for people having strange encounters. I'm just going to put that out there. So um, I noted, you know, your your first uh, sighting uh, was in 2012 as, as well. But, you know, I think, um, you know, for what it's worth, uh, I would... Um, I would just hope that you would double down your efforts, Amy, to dig into these witnesses. They need voices like this that really aren't jockeying for evidence, but um, want to hear the stories as weird and as raw as they are. Because as you know, the First Nations people don't, you know, they don't stop at the weird part. They kind no, of begin, they, they begin at the weird part right, <laughs> and then right. they're reluctant to tell you where it happens, where the evidence happens. The weird part is the oral story. And um, oftentimes I think that's relegated as just kind of folklore. So I appreciate you saying that. Right. I mean, you look at, look at any kind of large primate that has been discovered and you air quotes by western scientists the the people over in africa and asia they already knew they were there you know they called them things like the wild men the hairy men um and we you know as a whole would say okay those are just moral tales or stories until they weren't until they were proven to be real and i really feel that it's possible that we're doing the same to our indigenous people here that we're just ignoring their stories when there's something real out there. Yes, Jill, you have a burning question. Burning, burning like the sun. Um, no, so Amy, I'm, I'm curious of all the time you've spent out in the woods and with like all your knowledge of the animals and, uh, and things in your area, what's been the most, um, surprising thing that you've stumbled upon or learned or encounter uh bigfoot or non-bigfoot related i'm kind of diverting sorry i just no that's okay know. oh gosh you know i i i take so many pictures i have so many um hours of recording out there especially out in the Allegheny National Forest in a certain area where a lot of reports have been. And I don't usually find anything. 
I'm just being honest. Like if Amy Boo comes out and says she found something, then it will be a banner day because I don't find a lot. I mean, I find cool, you know, flowers and um, edible plants, medicinal plants. I like to mess around with stuff like that learning about those things um, and, and really cool audio, whether, you know, one time somebody sent me an audio that I could not, an audio clip I could not figure out. And I always want to find out if it could be anything else before I go to Bigfoot. And it ended up being uh, during bear hunting, like bow season, and it was a dying bear. So that was interesting. I didn't find that, but somebody sent it to me. Like they have these death moans and I'm like, it was sad, but it wasn't Bigfoot, you know? So I like to try to figure those out. That was interesting. But um, you want me to tell you my, my story about what happened last summer? Cause I don't think. Yes, please. Well, I, I don't think I've told anybody like on a podcast this before, cause it really, really affected me to the point where I was just out camping with friends this past weekend, like for several days, um, even before the weekend out in the Allegheny National Forest. And I slept in a car the first night because I was scared. And I will admit that I get scared a lot. I'll be out in my tent, you know, whether I'm with other people or by myself, a lot of times I'm at least in my tent by myself. And I'm just like, oh gosh, I don't believe in bears. I don't believe in bears, you know, <laughs> just in there scared. But what happened? I mean, it's not like I have any proof of it because it was the night before we were going to be doing some other things and didn't have any recorders out or anything like that. But myself and some friends were up on a very remote um, logging road in the Alleghenies. And, you know, you have to have a shovel. You don't have a bathroom, nothing. You're just remote camping. Right. So I'm in my tent. Um several yards away was my friend Monica and her tent and next to her was our friend Tina she was in her van so you can drive in so it's not like we I, I love to hike into places but this was you go down a really horrible road but you can drive in so she was in there and then our friend Kevin and his daughter were hanging from hammocks tents and their dog anyway so we didn't know everything that had gone on until the next morning when we're having our camp coffee and talking about this. But long story short, Tina, Monica, and myself all felt something. And Tina and I both separately, and our phones weren't working, like we couldn't text each other or anything. Um, we got texts from each other later when we got a signal that we had done that night. We both thought we were having medical emergencies to the point where Tina and I both were like, separately, like, we need to get out of here and go to a hospital. Like I, I have um, some heart problems after being sick a few years ago. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I wasn't nervous. I wasn't anxious or anything like that, but I just felt like, uh, the best thing that I can compare it to now is in um, Jurassic Park when the T-Rex is walking and you don't see it and the water is moving. <laughs> like that's what it felt like, like that, or like a bass from a, from music. You can feel it, you know, in your body. And we all were like, oh my gosh, like we all had that same thing happen. Well, while I was lying there, cause I'm kind of by myself a bit, it scared me, not scary, like, ooh, there's something out there, but am I, am I sick? Um, and I stayed awake. So everybody else had kind of 
fallen asleep after that happened. And again, we didn't know everybody's experience till later, but I'm lying there 100% awake and I hear this God awful yell that came out of the woods from past where Tina was. And the only, like, it's making me like nervous as I say this. The only thing I can describe it as, it sounded to me like one of those, um, I think you call them like Tonga warriors or something, like just emptying their lungs, like just, ah, like, but a yell, not a scream, where I could feel that yell. The dog to the other side of me starts barking. Um, it woke up Monica, like it was just chaos for a little bit, at least inside my head and, or, you know, inside that tent. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what was that? And I didn't even immediately think Bigfoot. I'm thinking there's like a murder in the woods or something. And I just am bringing that up as an example to your question, because I could not think of any animal that made that sound that would be in Pennsylvania. There, there is none. And this road that we were the only people camping along that road. Um, there are several spots you can camp, but we didn't see any. Uh, and I'm thinking like, is somebody trying to scare us? I, I truly believe we would have heard a car. We all say that we could have, would have heard a car come in. Um, why would somebody, you know, I, I try to, convinced myself okay maybe it was a person but there's like where did they come from they would have had to hike a long time and why would they want to scare us like that you know we all had weapons <laughs> you know like it would be really dumb um and I don't know what it was like I don't know what that was but it really terrified me um, and so this past week is the first time I had been, I've been up to that area, but this is the first time I had been there to camp. And I was like, you know what, I'm just letting myself be scared. And I am sleeping in the car for the first night. We'll see how I do. And then I was okay the next couple nights in the tent, but it really, for a while I had nightmares about it. I had nightmares about it because I can't make of it and I don't like not being able to make sense of it. Sometimes it seems like these things, these experiences we have without visuals, there's there's a primordial part in our reptilian, quote unquote reptilian brain, which I guess yeah. science actually calls it the reptilian part of our brain, that we know, you know, like we know it's something that is not of this world or not ordinary you know it's like i th i think that humans should give their instincts more credit than mm -hmm. they do you know what i mean because it's just it's like mothers that know about their children we have we have humans have incredible instincts we just don't exercise them enough but so many people that we've talked to that have had these experiences without the visuals um you really can't compare them to anything else it's like you knew something was out there. You knew it wasn't a raccoon in heat, right. you know, like it's, it's just, I think we just know these things. I think we just get them. And you're right. I think you're right. Like we looked into so many, like we were looking into, could it have been fracking that we were feeling? Could it have been, um, 
an earthquake. We looked up, was there any seismic activity? Like everything to try to discount it. And then you're left with, uh, you can't. And it's not, doesn't make sense. But you are so right about that. And sometimes I laugh at myself because if you were going to tell me that story, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you heard a Sasquatch. Like I wouldn't, that wouldn't even phase me. But when it when it's myself, I I think that's very common. Like I doubt myself, I doubt myself, I doubt myself. Because I think there's this big fear that people will think I'm lying or people will think I'm making it up or that I am just not a good, uh, you know, I don't have good judgment or something, you know, I, and we're harder on ourselves than we are in other people. I think as researchers sometimes. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And sometimes it takes years to debunk these things. Um, You know, there's a wealth of information out there that we don't have. And when you mentioned fracking, God, I would have never gone to something like that, but that's a brilliant thing to debunk, you know, um, probably a horrific sound in some levels, maybe explain some of the sky phenomena where people think they hear, you know, metal scraping or trumpets or something like that. But, um, you know, that's, that's encouraging that you, you think out of the box like that very much so. Yeah, I think it's important, but I think, that experience, whatever that was, has made me more um, kind to myself, I think. You know, like, I always am feeling, I don't know, I've never really thought about before, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or not, but I I don't want to be known as a woman researcher, I just want to be a good researcher, but I also don't want you know, people to think I'm a big wimp out there, you know, so I'll admit that I'm scared, but I I, it was hard for me to be like, yeah, you're allowed to sleep in that car, (laughs) you know, like you're, it's okay. You're allowed to be scared of whatever that was. And, you know, and, and you know what I mean? I don't even know how to explain it, but just to, just to be kinder to myself and, and to believe myself. Yeah. Well, you're trusting your gut in the right places. I don't think it has anything to do with sex. So uh, male or female, we've all slept in our car <laughs> a night or two. Some of us sleep at a hotel because they don't want to sleep in the car. <laughs> oh, boy. You saying, Jill? Room service what? What'd you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like hey, <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. No, I seriously, like when we, the, there have been occasions where Brett and I have been out in the wilderness. Um, and, you know, we, we were camping down by Crater Lake, um, way off on some crazy road where no one was. And I remember in the middle of the night, something going by the tent. Brett, do you remember that? And like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, God, that deer is really heavy footed. Um, I will always wonder because I was like, is so deliberate how it ran right by our tent. Anyways, I survived, but I am constantly, um, I'm constantly prepared and expect at some point for a bear to try to eat me. Yeah, right. it's the oh, bears. Yeah. It's the bears we're afraid of. Yep. Well, that's why it's funny that I had such a scary experience in the Alleghenies because, you know, the summer before being out in Montana, we had just seen a grizzly bear that day, you know, the first day that we were camping out there in the middle of nowhere. And there's cougars and all that. Like, that's where I would think I would be more 
scared, but that's not where it happened. That's not where it happened. No, I think the Alleghenies in general are known for some strange stuff going on in there, aren't they? I mean, they I remember, are. I remember are. that coming up on Robert Stack, you know, and mm-hmm. mysterious uh, encounters talking about that, or what was it's it called? True. Unsolved Mysteries, yeah. Yep. It's true. There are a lot of, so many reports out there. It's it's just super duper interesting. Well, our guest has been Amy Boo. Amy, thanks for joining us here. Um, any projects coming up beside Project Zoo Book that you want to talk about, explore, promote, whatever you want? Sure. Well, I'm doing a lot of things, like I said, uh, just around the area this summer. I was supposed to be out in Alaska, but that got uh, postponed to at least next year. I was disappointed at first, but you know, I needed to clean my basement anyway. <laughs> and then I'm just, do- I'm just doing a lot of more local things, but um, Alaska is going to be fun. I I'm still looking for a few good men and women to make up a small team. And we're going to be heading out um, to the Western interior. We have, are going to be taking a skiff down the river. We're going to be taking two jumper planes and we're going to be led by a friend of mine, who is uh, one of the winners from the show alone on the History Channel. And he lived for a while with uh, some different indigenous groups out there. And he's fascinated by Bigfoot because of all the stories, you know, kind of ancient stories and more current stories that they've told him. So we're going to be going really out there. And I'm excited for when it happens. Amy, how does someone get in touch with you if they want to be a part of that? Um, my email is easy. It's bigfootamy at gmail.com. So that's on. And then one other thing is that my big goal for this summer is to finish my book I'm writing. It is on um, a gentleman named Tom Page, who was a financial backer for both Roger Patterson and Peter Byrne after Tom Slick died. And he was a gentleman, he passed away a few years ago, but he and I had several lunches together, (laughs) hours and hours of uh, tapes that I, or tapes, I'm old, um, audio recordings from him and notes. We were working on the book together and I really want to get that done because some of the stories he told me are pretty fantastic. Amazing. Bringing out a little bit of Bigfoot history here. I've never heard that name. All right, Amy Boo, thank you again for your time, and um, we will be seeing you in the trees. Yes, thanks for everything. This was fun. Thank you, Amy. Really appreciate it. Amy. Thank you. This has been a Resonance Production podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at bigfootrevealedpod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering the Flash of Beauty universe, You can watch our documentary on most major streaming platforms.